The Lord be with you, everyone. And let me begin by saying thank you, a very deep and real thank you for those of you that have been sending your gifts, financial gifts. It is those gifts that enable us to do what we're doing and reaching the multitude, thousands of people here tonight and also to have this studio. Thank you for every one of you that have sent your gifts in the last weeks, even months. And secondly, before we begin, um, there's nothing wrong with your sound system. My voice is, uh, <clears throat> it's got a little bit of South Texas allergies right now, and so it's a little scratchy. So I want to continue what we've been saying and let's read again this text, which I find so arresting. It is in Acts chapter 17, when they have gone to the city of Thessalonica. And that <clears throat> was the city, the Thessalonian believers. Some years later, Paul wrote them the letters that we call First and Second Thessalonians. But this is the beginning. This is when the church happened there in Thessalonica. And in verse um, 5, but the Jews, that is really not just the generic Jews, it was specifically the leaders of the synagogue became jealous of Paul and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, which is where Paul and his fellows were staying. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them there in the house, they began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, and this is it, these men who have upset the world have come here also. Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. But especially that phrase, I'm not finished with it, where it says, these are the men who have upset the world. Now they've come here to Thessalonica. They've upset the world. And as I've said uh, last time, um, in more ancient translations, it says, Rather quaintly, these are men that have turned the world upside down. Um, upset the world suggests chaos. It suggests confusion. And that is one way that another translation has it, that the civilized world is thrown into confusion. Or another translation is they are planning, these men and the message they're proclaiming, these men are planning to destroy our world and all that we hold dear and treasure. Now, that suggests those words that are used there, um, that word that we used last week, which is revolution. The gospel, that message that it contains, is looked upon by the world, and rightly so, as revolution. 
I would say that these persons in Thessalonica put their finger on the very pulse of the gospel in calling it a revolution, a turning of the world totally upside down. And one more time, let me give you the definition of revolution. It means to turn something over, whether you have it, turn the world upside down. It's to turn something over, bringing about a drastic and basic change. It means to radically alter something and again to bring about therefore a radical change and a change that would replace the present order. Okay, that's the meaning of the word revolution, which I believe describes how these people understood the gospel. Now, let me say this again quickly because it's so important. History, where we sit today, is really the result of a multitude of revolutions that humans have come about over church history, sorry, not over church, over history. If you take the history of the world, really it's the history of revolutions. It's the history of turning over the present order and replacing it with something else. Well, this gospel, this good news that is of Jesus Christ is not simply another revolution in line with all the other revolutions. Because all human revolutions, I say this very carefully, and may I say very kindly, that all human revolutions are variations on the lie that Satan infused into the human race in the roots of the human race in the Garden of Eden. Every revolution is looking at the way this present people are trying to work out the lie. And the revolutionary says, I can do it better than you. And my thoughts and my plans and my agenda are better than yours. But the trouble is, his agenda and thoughts are but another way of doing the lie of the Garden of Eden. Do you, do you understand me? We are dealing with the same thing, but with a slightly different face. Sometimes with a very different face. But if you go deep enough, it's the same old thing. It's the lie of the Garden of Eden, which you remember. The lie spoken there was speaking to the first humans and therefore into the core of human, into the core of what it means to be human. Satan spoke the words, you shall be as God. You shall be as God's. I have to emphasize that was spoken into our core of human. Wherever you meet human, that was spoken into the original root. He infused it. And that is why Satan in the scripture is called the prince or the ruler of this world. He's also called the father of the lie. It's, it's where we're at. And, and so Satan, he's called the prince or the ruler or the father, if you like, of the lie that permeates the very atmosphere of the human race. 
He is the prince then of the world system. Well, mankind is therefore incapable of real revolution. Why? Because the problems of humanity are all rooted in the driving belief, which is at our core, that the lie is right. Therefore, all revolutions are built upon that core belief. And therefore, they're all but variations on the same thing. Okay, put that on hold for a minute. What is this world, the world system, that these people said were being turned on its head? The world is that, I suppose today we would call it secular, which is a word which actually is in itself um, enmity at God, because the word secular means the place where God is not, which of course there is no such place. But, but the world, it's a secular system. It may be put system in capital letters. It's, it's that system in which we work out life. It's a system in which life is governed, not merely by political parties, but by wherever you find leadership, wherever you find the putting together of an agenda that brings others into it. And it is the system in which religion works. And that may be sounding rather strange to some people, for surely religion has done some good. I was not particularly speaking of the words good and evil, for those two streams, both of them came out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and evil. And the good of religion it is the flesh, it is the self of the human rising up, seeking indeed to do good in terms of changing the present order. But it fails because it arises from the same flesh that seeks from within itself to be as God, to do it yourself. It's the world system, and it has a million faces. The faces of this world are changing sometimes by the day, certainly by the month, and we call them fads. They, they are the, the latest eruption within the world in its attempt to make it happen, that I should be as God, that I should rise above others. I should be as God. Because you see, the human, as a result of that lie that is the pulse at the very rootage of humanity, is believes that self, the I, is at the center. Well, that really, when you think about it, you shall be as gods, that... That, that's exactly what it's saying. You, you are, I at the center. I am at the center of the meaning, the purpose of existence. And, and therefore, we're always seeking to find that place in which I finally arrive at being as God. And so, so I look at, at my human will. My will, whole books, libraries are written uh, about the, the strength of your will. 
your inner purpose, your intention. But the flesh means your in your senses, uh, your the sensuality of the human, where I can find my pleasure and I can find that to which everything in me is is seeking, that which I call good, that which I want, that that pleasureness in in the physical organs of my body. All there, I think that that's where life is to be found in this stuff in this human flesh, in this human brain, in this mind and imagination. This is where it's to be found. I, I'm at the center of my world. It, it, what, what is the flesh? Flesh is the, it's, it's that self that is hostile, even an enemy of the true God and his love purpose for you, for me, for the human race. Flesh is that which will extend itself to to what it thinks is the highest and create an idol and call that God, which is where religion comes in. You shall be as God. The truth is, of course, outside of a psychiatric hospital, you won't find too many people saying they are God. But the fact is, how we live our lives, how we wake up in the morning and think of life and move into life and deal in our relationships, that's what we're saying all the time. Therefore, that places the human race under the authority of the liar from whom the lie came, Satan. And 1 John 5.19 says it plainly. It says, we know that we are of God. He's speaking of those who have discovered the gospel and have found the truth. We know that we're of God. And the whole world, that word again, world, lies in the power of the evil one, Satan. Did did you get that? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The only place where I am not under the power of the evil one is in my understanding and seeing of Christ and his work. That, that's, okay, do you get it? The, the world system, which is made up of the mass of persons who live in the flesh, each seeking to fulfill their understanding of the original lie, which is so deep inside of them, they they do not recognize it as such. But it sends its ripples right through our whole being as humans. You shall be as God. And that's the world system. Ephesians 2, and the first verses. Uh, speak of this very plainly. Paul says, you were dead. That is, you were separated. You were uh, dead toward God and reality and truth. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now listen, in which you formerly, that is before you discovered Jesus, which you formerly walked or as a manner of life, according to the course of this world according to the prince or the ruler of the power of the atmosphere. That is the spirit 
that is now working in the sons of disobedience or refusal to listen to the truth concerning God. Did you, did you get that? that? That dead in sin, walking according to the course of this world system, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is in fact a, a spirit that now works diligently within these sons of disobedience. And says Paul, among them we too all formerly lived. Wow, that places religion right in the middle of it because Paul was one of the leading exponents of a pious, moral, good life. But he says, we too, all of us, formerly lived in the lust or the driving energy of our flesh, indulging in the desires, the senses of our flesh and of our mind, where we concocted our life plan, our life blueprint according to the lie. We were by nature children of wrath, and that word wrath is a a word that needs a lot of explanation, but enough to say it means the deepest moving of desire and impulse and passion, swelling passion. And so it says that, that we were by nature those who we live by natural impulse. We, we live by whatever our body lusted for. We lived by that driving passion within us. It's not a nice picture, is it? But it, that's, that is the picture of the human race. And so when we look at the flesh within that world, we're talking about the desire for power. It's one of the greatest desires. It's that desire to affirm myself in power. I, I, I want power to achieve what I perceive as the meaning of my life, power. Did you realize that, of course, is behind all of the lust, love of money, for we have the understanding that if you have enough money, you have power. You realize that this lust for power is behind all abuse of women and children and rape, for it is only the person that is uh, sensing oneself to be weak and helpless that then seeks to show power over those weaker than oneself. Sick, isn't it? It's, it's pride that, that rises to behold one's honor, one's reputation, one's position in life and grasp it and push it forward as the fig leaf behind which I want to be seen. It's my agenda, it's my rights, my protection, my pleasure. Religion? <laughs> Pride, of course, because religion seeks to show its superiority over those not like itself. And Jesus actually gave a caricature of the religious by saying that, I thank you, O God, I am not as other men. And even perceive that superiority is humility. No. 
the superior that says, I'm better than others. And it's, it's in the human race. Nations say of others, I'm better than them. It's behind racism that, that looks at the color of another and the speech of another and the language of another and says, I'm better than them because I'm of a different color. Stupid when you talk about it, isn't it? But this is what the world is. This is the flesh. The flesh says, I am here to be served and others must fall in line to serve me and my agenda. The flesh seeks a world that fulfills its own idea of happiness and fulfillment and pleasure. See, the flesh has a thousand faces. Remember what I said, all revolutions among humans are but variations on the same theme. And so when I'm looking at the good and morality of the one end or the bad of the other end, I'm still dealing with roots that go back to that one lie. It depends how I'm expressing it. It's got a thousand faces at every level. It's the inner drive and expresses my personal life. It expressed in my home and domestic relationships, how I talk to my wife, how I talk to my children and my neighbor, my my. In, in the school, in, in the, the bully is the ultimate of it, but it, it expresses itself in every way, in social life, in the church. Every church split is because of the flesh still being lived on by those who would call themselves Christians. Every break in the relationships in the workplace, it it all originates here. See, there's a thousand faces there. The strange thing is that when this face, which comes from the lie, looks at that face, which seems to be its very opposite, but still comes from the same lie, and they say, I would never do that. I would never be like him. <laughs> How could he possibly do that? How should possibly? And so the, the each compares that's the glue of the flesh world society comparing i wouldn't do that that is ridiculous that's foolish did you hear what she said did you hear what he did always comparing and saying i'm not like that and out of this system comes all of the unlove for this system is incapable of love as the bible uses the word out of it comes all the envy. I want what she's got. I want to be like he is. All of the bitterness and unforgiveness and malice and slander and gossip. All of the anger. All the wars on the planet as well as the wars and domestic violence. All of the anxiety. All of the unhappiness. All the frustration and futility of life that even affects our physical body and sickness, it all comes from this. This is what we're talking about. The flesh, you see, is corrupted at its source. And because it's corrupted at the core, it will spread corruption throughout its existence. That's the flesh. 
That's the human race as it comes out of the Garden of Eden. This is where it is. Okay, I've had enough of that. Well, what's the revolution? The revolution is that God is love. And of course, it, that, that has to be a different word than the one used by the world and the flesh. So when I go into the midst of the world and its darkness, confusion, illusions, and self for self, they use the word love a lot. Oh, a lot. But it's a word which means that the Greek-speaking people had a specific word for that kind of love. It was eros. And it means I seek for myself now the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. It's the upward reach. So, so love, I love that which is like God. That's in my class, you say. And I want it now. It's, it's the love of this world system and of course, it changes by the day because I, I, when I grasp what I think that for me now is the highest, best, and most beautiful, it's changed tomorrow. It has gotten older and more haggard and wrinkled, and I've changed what <clears throat> my desire is. And so, <clears throat> no longer counts, does it? No, God is love is not that word. It's very important to know because in English we don't have a different words. This word, God is love, is the word agape, which is a word that really only appeared with the coming of the gospel. God is love is not merely the opposite of human love. Please, can, can you hear this? God, love, agape, is not merely the opposite of human love. It is so far removed from human love, there is no comparison. God is agape. And that's why he's called the Holy One or the Other. His love is a blazing furnace of wonder and love before which we stand in awe. And we really don't have anything on this earth to compare it. God is love. What is it? If the heart of the flesh is self for myself and human love is seeking the pleasure of myself, then God love is totally. This is who God is at his heart. For God is love. He is self for others. God by his being, by his core essence nature is the giving of himself away self for others to become the servant of all his creation it is dare i say the driving passion the innermost movement of god's being to reunite with us to overcome all separation that mankind has placed between us and him. 
And that separation, take it to its nth degree, take it all the way to where a human has surrendered to Satan and has become demonized, makes no difference to this incredible God. He is the intention, the unbegun, the immovable, unchangeable intention of God is to reunite that person and all persons, which means he must overcome the flesh, he must overcome the world system, he must overcome the Satan whose lie started it, and he must put his arms around us and overcome the separation and bring us to himself. And he will go to any length And there is no word to say better than any, but push any length to its nth degree. His love, relentless, will not give up, will not be put off. God love, agape, that love created us. That's where you come from. That's your original parent. You were created to live inside that love, in the embrace of that creator. That's the glue that holds creation together. And we were created then not only to participate in that love, but to do so in communion with our fellows, fellow humans, neighbors, and therefore to love them as we are loved. Now, how does God bring that about? And I know you know what I'm going to say, but I want you to listen to what I'm going to say, maybe as you never have before. Because this is the point, right here, where so many are living below their privilege as persons in Christ because they missed it. So hear me. Yes, Jesus. Jesus is, shall I say, the, the terminus. Jesus is the finale of that love which I've just spoken of. For Jesus is God incarnate. Okay, don't say that quickly. It might take you next 48 hours just to say that until he let the Holy Spirit open our eyes to what I just said. Jesus is God incarnate. That is the God, unbegun God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God. God the Son in order to be the intention and will of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to unite us into his love. God the Son, who is of one being with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, one. He is God who entered into our flesh. God became a genuine human. God took 
to himself our human. And that human was us. That is, this God, God the Son, who we call Jesus, who was incarnate, God inned into the human race in the womb of the Virgin Mary. God became a speck of life within the womb. And becoming a speck of life within the womb, he grew over nine months in a human body. God became flesh. Now this is where a lot miss it. In fact, um, when I have said what I just said, people have got up and walked out. God became flesh, and they say that he couldn't do that. He's God, and therefore this, this God has no contact with us. We're too corrupt, we're too bad, we're too far, we're too demonized. We're... So God couldn't touch us. Well, then you're not saved, are you? If he's going to save us, if he is going to untie the knots that hold us, that unlock the chains that bind us to this lie, he's got to get inside the human race, inside the darkness. He's got to go back to where this started, the lie. He's got to come there inside the lie, inside the darkness. He's got to enter into the corruption of the human flesh because that's what he's going to save. Anything less than that would make this a revolution just like any other human, not dealing with the heart of the matter, but coming to some aberration uh, and, and something, you know, I don't like the way you're doing it, I can do it better, and so... Jesus is not in the line of revolutionaries. Jesus is the only revolutionary. Jesus came into the human race at its core. And therefore, he embraced the human race where it all began. He became a genuine, authentic human without ever ceasing to be God. And therefore, I see Jesus, a genuine man who worked in the carpenter shop, genuine human. And after 30 years of living with him, his neighbors said, he's the carpenter. Anyone with two eyes in their head can see that. He was a genuine man. And yet, and yet, and yet, at that self-same moment, he is God the Son, who so loved us that he, in the will and intention of Father's love and in the love and power of the Spirit, came where we are. And to do that, he had to come really where we are. Did you get that? This salvation that I'm talking about is not something Jesus did as standing over here, five feet above the 
created ground and he's doing something here. And when he's done something, he says, there it is, George, you're going to have it if you believe it and walk away. No, what do you think? I am saying it's not over there. He came over there. He got inside our deepest, most dastardly problem. And he in himself, he takes in himself our brokenness, our slavery, our darkness, our corruption, and in himself, he who is human, one with us, he who is God on love's mission, is going to break the chains. He's going to turn the very will of the human. He is going to release us and cleanse us when this is all said and done. He's going to do it within himself. Do you get that? He's not doing something external for us. Rather, he's joining us at our corrupt core to undo everything the lie has ever done and to cleanse us from its corruption and announce in that darkness the true and only God that he forgives us because he's never stopped loving us for a moment. Okay, please stay with me. What about John chapter 1? The first four verses, speaking of this incarnation that God became one with us, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, which is, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and that word with <clears throat> is, is not strong enough. The the original language there would be face-to-face, cheek-to-cheek. Um, it, it's a, a communion and a union that is one inside the other. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And listen, all things came into being by Him. That is... He's the word you hear in Genesis 1, let there be. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the creator. Okay, Adam was created and listened to Satan. And that's the result of the chaos. But there's one who is before the beginning. There's the one who created the cosmos and created Adam, the human race. So, yes, we can only go back to the lie. But Jesus is before that. And he's the one who holds it all together. And he came and joined himself to us. And it says... Okay, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him, in this Jesus, the God who is with us, in him was life. He doesn't have life, he is life. The life was the light of mankind. Then in verse 14, 
and the Word became flesh. That Word we've been talking about. And dwelt among us. But we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, this one you know, I'm sure, John 3.16. For God so loved, that's agape, the world, the world. This that we've been speaking of, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. God has come to save us. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5, 14? For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, and it's speaking of Jesus, that one died for all. Therefore all died. We were all included. For he came to the very bottom of who we are, included us all in the roots with which we come. He died for all, that they should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf instead of them. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. And go down a bit there. Therefore, if any man, any woman is in Christ, he, she is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us himself to himself through Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Well, what, what more can I say? God came into the human race. He never ceased to be God, but he took to himself a genuine humanity. Yeah, but he never believed the lie. He has come face to face with the lie and with the liar, but he refuses to believe it. He who as man has come into that world, but he who is God become that man refuses to be Adam. He refuses to believe the lie. He chooses instead to love his father, obey his father, trust his father, and serve all in his path. And ultimately to serve the entire race of humans with the love that gives himself away. He loved all. This is the unbelievable love. He loves all. You see, human love cannot love all. Human love can only love those that are beautiful, those that fit its image of acceptable, the highest and the best. And human love can only love those that respond. That is, 
If I would seek to love XYZ, then XYZ must receive that love and respond to me. Which means that I don't own my love. Rather, I have been kidnapped by the beauty and the highestness and the bestness of whoever I seek to love. It, it means that my love awaits completion by someone else loving me. Do, do you follow that? And here I come to God who loves all, which means his lo- he owns his love. His love is not fueled by some goodness in the object of his love. It's not because they were nice people or pious people or righteous people. God owns his love. Therefore, he can love the the furthest from him, love the demonized and the profanized, the secularized. He comes to us and there's no one that he does not love because... You don't own his love. You can't make him love you, nor can you make him stop. He loves you because he's love. And if you don't respond to him, if you refuse his love, makes no difference. He continues to love. He owns his love, you see. His his love is not controlled by you or me. And so he loved the tax collector that were looked upon as the scum of the earth. He loved the Pharisee, which were looked upon as the most moral, religious, pious persons. Made no difference, the just and the unjust. In fact, he saw through all of the behaviors that erupted and vomited out of the lie. And he saw through to the heart of it all. And he said that the human race was lost which means they are most precious, most precious. But they have totally lost their way and they are in a place where they were never created to be, do not know who they are, where they are, why they are. He said, I have come to find. And he likened this human race to be a precious lost treasure, a pearl that was beyond price waiting to be taken a sheep that was in the wilderness for a shepherd to go find, and so on. His power was not that of a dictator, but was compassion. It says that when he saw the multitude so confused and beaten up by the lie, that he was moved with compassion and taught them. He saw the sick and diseased and moved with compassion. He healed because he loved. He taught because he loved. He is love right through. That on the cross he forgave those who whipped him, beat him, thrashed him, mocked him, and crucified him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God's love was in the world, refusing to be Adam, but rather in obedience to his Father, he now is forging a pathway of the human race that has never been forged before. This was so crazy. It was so out of sight, that those who had been his closest friends for three plus years, the disciples, at the last supper, 
just moments before he will go to his sufferings and death. I mean, the last moments of his life, those disciples sit there with him, arguing as to who is the greatest, who should be the leader. They are saying, each one, I am as God. Can you believe it? But yes, I can. Because, I've got to say it again, outside of Christ, this is who the human is. And, And doing what they were doing at the Last Supper is what they believed was the rightest, most ordinary, normal thing to do. The revolution had not finally taken place. For that is when Jesus entered into and connected with Man's hatred of God, man's determination to be his own God, his absolute self for himself in his sufferings and in his death. And in that, the Holy Trinity conspired together to lay upon him, to cause to meet upon him the iniquity of us all. He took it to himself. And in taking it to himself, he judged it as that which could never be the norm for his people. And so, holding our flesh, our world, the corruption, the darkness, holding our sin as one with himself, because the Bible says he became sin, he became the curse. He became it, but he never sinned, for he did so in obedience to the Father, trusting the Father, loving the Father, and serving mankind. He carried our sin. He got to its heart, and he embraced it. And having done so, holding it, he crucified it. He carried it to death. The cross, you see, is not some terrible, monstrous image of the Father beating the Son until he can find it in himself to forgive you. No, this is the Father's love plan that God the Son is executing in the strength of God the Holy Spirit, that God himself shall take our sin and in our humanity shall carry us to death done. It's the only answer. You can't tweak the flesh. You can't paint its face. You can't give it an injection. You can't give the corruption of the flesh chemotherapy. It's beyond hope. So God took the beyond hope and carried it to death. And his resurrection is that God himself in Our authentic humanity has triumphed over the lie, has killed, done, crucified the flesh, carried our sin away, untied the knots of the ropes that bound us, smashed the chains that held us, opened the prison doors and said, we're out of here. Satan has no more authority. Sin has been put away. The flesh has been crucified. Death has been defeated. Come with me to the Father. And he rose from the dead. 
and in rising from the dead he gave to us the same Holy Spirit in which he lived and moved. God, the Holy Spirit, now takes up residence in you and I. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so it says in John 16, 11, he's talking about judgment. He said, because the ruler of this world, the prince, Satan, the ruler of this world has been judged. God never came Jesus didn't come to judge us. He came to bring us out from under Satan and to judge Satan. And he's judged and Satan this day is on death row. And then to put into us that for which we were created. Romans 5, 5 says, Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And that could be translated, The love of God cascades throughout our total inner being. You see, Jesus carried our mind, our screwed up mind and imaginations, filled with all expressions of the lie. He carried that to death. Your mind was crucified with Christ. Your emotions, your deepest will crucified with Christ. He became one with it. His history became yours. Now risen from the dead, he puts into you the Holy Spirit who brings to you the very mind of Christ, the imagination of Christ. He's put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The fruit of that Holy Spirit in you right now. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. Why? Because it says now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its pleasures, passions, and desires. Oh, get this. He didn't say, well, I started this revolution, you say, and now if you can believe it, I'm leaving you to carry on the work I started. Oh, how that would have fizzled out in about 50 years. He didn't say that. That's a damnable lie. What did he do? He joined us to himself in the incarnation and He's still joined to us in his exaltation. He became what you and I are in order that we might become who he is. And that's activated in us by the Holy Spirit. The very God, the Holy Spirit, now comes to live within us. And so, you see, we are revolutionaries in this world not based on some cause that we have. We don't go around waving banners and joining all the new groups that want to protest. Oh, no, we're not those people. It's not based on a cause. It's not even based on a doctrine by which churches fight each other to the death. No, it's because the revolution himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives in us. And the revolution takes place in us and we become lovers. And our revolution in the world is not, we're not against something. We are infinitely for loving the world as God has loved us. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's Galatians 2.20. You've heard this before, but did you just hear this? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, yes, I'm still in a body, I still have a mind, but the life I live in the flesh now, I live by faith, and I'm giving you the, I believe, the correct interpretation. There's not by faith in the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, delivered himself up for me. We are receptors of God's love. That's who we are. And we pass it on as transmitters. In our thoughts, it's the way we think about life. In our imagination, it's how I think and see and imagine you and me in this world. In the words I speak, in the actions I take. Look, you, you don't, don't dismiss me. Listen to, this was the expectation of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner, your core person, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, agape, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Or as one translation has it, everything that God is may be in you and expressed through you. And let me quickly say this as I close. That word surpasses knowledge. Um, I could probably and probably will spend a lot more time on it, but just for now, it's a, it's a, it's a phrase which means to overthrow. That is, um, I throw further than I possibly could think. That's how it's many times looked at. For the word does mean to overthrow. It means to then conquer. Although that is not a translation you'll find the idea is in the New Testament. It's not used that word. It means to prevail over. That is in the sense that we're using this word revolution. It says the love of Christ overthrows. You could say the love of Christ is so far above and beyond anything this world a flesh and world and its own eros kind of love could ever be. It has overthrown it. It's turned the world upside down. The power of God is his love which has overthrown our entire world, flesh, system of thinking and imagining. He's conquered it. And compare that with Paul's prayer in Colossians 1, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that knowledge of his will is not whether you go as a missionary to Africa. No, filled with the knowledge of his intention, filled with the knowledge of his 
purpose. That is, you may know this infinite, limitless drive of God's love. That you may know that in all wisdom and knowledge given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's going to change your life. It's going to overthrow your own personal world. It's going to transform your relationships. It's going to cause you to be the light of the world. See, without this, what do you do? Oh, you carry a Bible to work, maybe. You probably get thrown in jail for that these days. Uh, Or you give out tracts, or you... (laughs) What? You're a pain in the neck to most of the employers with you. You're a pain in the neck. All you do is say what you're against, and they shouldn't be smoking, and they shouldn't be cursing, and you would never do that, and, and you do this, and... See, unless you have love, this driving love, then you're nothing. You miss the whole point, totally. Evangelism is being the love of God in the midst of this world. And how do you do that? Boy, there's another hour, isn't there? But I'd hate to leave you, but quickly, how is it? It begins with understanding the gospel which thousands, thousands had never have. They thought it was God uh, because he beat up Jesus so much he could forgive you. Unwillingly, I'll grant you because he had to beat up Jesus first. But at least he said he'd forgiven you and that will mean you go to heaven, whatever that means, at some time in the future. But now just, yeah, no, no, it's not the gospel. There's a parody I just gave you the gospel that God so loved you. He got into the core of your being and he took your sin, your flesh, your curse, your bondage and faced it as you instead of you. And out of the glory of his person and because his love would take you in himself to death and rose from the dead carrying you with him. This is the good news. You have been crucified with Christ. That's it is so. That's not a deeper life. That's not something you've got to strive for. It is so. You are as buried in the tomb as Jesus was. You are as risen out of death as Jesus rose. And you are as seated inside God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by sheer gift and grace, participating in the love and life of God. That's who you are. Or as the Colossians 3 says, your life is hidden with Christ inside of God. That's the gospel. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and ears to see that and hear it. And recognize then that He is in you, is, is not deeper life at this micro moment is so. Because he came there by grace, not by your earning it by formulas. And No, he's there. And so I live in the receptive mode. I'm not trying to love. I'm not trying to be righteous. I is in Christ and Christ is in me. And so I'm in the receptive mode. For every situation I find myself in, I know Christ, his love has a million expressions and he is in me to live his life in and through me through my trust and obedience we move from trying to be 
like Jesus to letting Jesus by the Holy Spirit be himself in us. Well, there it is. Go and be the revolution you are in Christ. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding to recognize who we are, to recognize the limitless power of your person and love within us that out of us shall flow to our world the radiant light, the living water, the fire of God. So I bless you. So it is.